Have you ever really been so excited about something? Have you ever been so excited that something's coming? You ever been so excited that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a special anniversary. Maybe it's a birthday or Christmas. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe you got, you're getting married sometime soon. I don't know if there's anybody in the room that's got that going on. Um, you know, has it, has it ever happened to you that you were really excited about something that, that you picture exactly what it's going to look like weeks beforehand? You're picturing exactly what this thing is going to look like. It's all laid out in your brain, and you're just like, this is what it's going to be. And then the time comes, the moment comes, and something about the setting is different, or something about the experience is different, or somehow something isn't quite exactly the way it pictured in your mind. Has anybody ever been there? I, me, you, you, okay, good. Okay, there's a couple people who have been there. Okay, good. So that's what happens to me. My, ma- my mind, I'm just like, oh, go, go, I'm so excited. And, and in our text today, the, the text that we're going through today, I think that there's a little bit of that going on with, uh, with, with what's, with what's going to happen. Today is our last service in the Passion Series. And it's not normal for, my wife pointed this out. No, I don't know who pointed it out. Somebody pointed it out. It's not normal for a church to continue a Passion Series into May. Um, but I feel like it's important because the book of, well, the Gospels, the book of Luke, which is the one we're studying, Luke 24 today, Jesus' death and resurrection, which is often considered the, the passion, um, ends at the end of 23. And then we've got all of 24 where other things are happening, and this is still part of the passion narrative. It's still part of what happened to Jesus and how it made such a big difference. And so, yeah, East, Good Friday celebrates the, the death. Easter Sunday celebrates the resurrection. But then we still go on, and Jesus has a life after death. And so that's what we've been spending the past couple of weeks about, and, uh, and, and we're getting through it. So I think the disciples, you know, they, they had something in mind. And, uh, and it got surprisingly different than what they expected. Today, if you have any text, uh, any questions, you can text them to me by using your tablet on, under today's message. And at the bottom of all of the notes, you'll see a spot where you can ask questions. And you can text that in. And at the end of the service, I will respond to questions um, as they come. So I'm going to read Luke 24, 44 to 53, and you can follow along with me in the, on the app or on the screen. Um, do, 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 do. Let me, okay, there it is. Then he said to them, these are, my, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds. Remember last week, he opens up their minds with the word and, and, the, and the breaking of bread. So he opens up their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city 
until you're clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. They returned with great joy. Okay, wait a second. So the first thing, I'm studying this text, and the first thing I'm struck with is Jesus has been dead for a few days. Everybody's mortified. And then Jesus resurrects from the dead. And everybody is surprised, and when they realize it, they're ecstatic. They're like, whoa, Jesus overcame death, and clearly he's now going to overcome all of the troubles that we have. And then Jesus leaves. And that's okay, not what we expected, but what doesn't, what doesn't sit with me in this text is they went back to Jerusalem with great joy. Okay, so sadly, I was at, I was at a funeral um, a little while ago. One of my uncles passed away, and, you know, we, we went to the funeral, and the whole family got together, and there, were fr- and there were friends there, and the church was packed, and it was a funeral, and it was, as expected, it was sad. And people were sad in this funeral. They were like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. This is so bad. I didn't see one person at the departure of my uncle returning with great joy. Nobody did that. It's not appropriate. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading social cues wrong, but I don't think it's okay to go to a funeral and just be like, woohoo, gone. So so what that's not appropriate, it's not okay. And what we read in this passage is Jesus leaves now for a second time. First he leaves and he dies, and now he leaves, he goes to heaven. And the response is great joy. Oh, right. So I'm a little surprised. So now what I need to do, what we're going to do is we're going to process through the text. Say, what did they see in this that maybe we don't take as seriously? And that's why sometimes we talk about Jesus died and resurrected. It doesn't bring us great joy. It's just like, oh, it just happened. You know, it's just a, it's just a fact. What are they seeing? What was going on? I mean... Were they, were they happy he's gone? Like, relief? Like, maybe it's like a substitute teacher thing. Like, you get a substitute teacher and you're like, sweet. I don't, I don't, I don't think that fits with the text. But, you know, it's possible. Um, maybe, maybe they were happy for him going to a better place. You know, oh, he's just going to a better place. We're, we're happy and yay. Maybe, maybe that, maybe, maybe that would be it. Or, or we have to figure or we have to assume that Jesus knew that the law and the prophets would point to a reason why the disciples should be happy. That inside the law and the prophets, there's gotta be a reason, there's gotta be an expectation or something fulfilled that makes them happy, something that they've been waiting for for a very long time. And so what we have, if if we look at uh, at Luke twenty four forty six, um, the verse says 
And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. As soon as Jesus says suffer, as soon as Jesus says suffer, we've got, there's a significant clue that's happening to the disciples in that moment because the disciples understand suffering and they understand what this means. This is now linked to something much bigger. And what it's linked to is called restorative hope. So in Isaiah 53, Every Jewish person knows this very well. Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant. It's the suffering servant. Now, the suffering servant could be one of two things. It could be the Messiah, or it could be the underdog, which is Israel itself. The one who suffers, the one who gets beaten down for the sake of good, the one who who everybody looks at and is like, yeah, nothing is coming from that. In Israel's case, the suffering servant, they they saw themselves in many ways as the suffering servant because they're the ones faithful to God and things weren't working the way they expected. They weren't, you know, creating the, the empire of Israel all over the world. They were being pushed down, pushed against by the empires that were around them that were more powerful than them. They were getting kicked around, beat up. If it wasn't Egypt attacking, it was Assyria attacking. If it wasn't Assyria, it was Babylon. And all throughout the Old Testament, you've got this idea that the people of God are getting kicked around all the time. And I don't know, but I've been around church a long time, and I know that sometimes the people of God in today's nation, in today's congregations, maybe even in this church right now, feel like sometimes you're the underdog and you're getting kicked around a little bit. You feel like something's going on. You feel like there's, there's suffering that happens. And so the suffering servant became an image For these people, a piece of identity. In Isaiah 53, he will be beaten down. He will be not recognized. He will, his, his clothings will be, his clothing will be tossed around with the other people and they'll gamble for his clothing. And, and everybody in Israel and sometimes everybody here, you know, we feel like we're just the underdog. What could God do here? What could God do in this situation when so much in the world is against Christianity? When so much in the world, we're now hearing numbers that suggest that Christianity is the largest persecuted people group in the world right now. We're also one of the largest people groups in the world right now. But, you know, um, we're we're the largest persecuted people group in the world right now. And so, oh, we're just being suffered. We're suffering. And the story of the suffering servant is a story of hope because God takes that underdog and restores them and says, yes, you were the underdog, but you, you, were, you were the tail, but I'm going to make you the head. You were the one who was behind, but I'm going to promote you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that you overcome. And Jesus talked about overcoming all the time. And so, so when we hear suffering, we also hear hope because God does not abandon the afflicted. God doesn't band, abandon the ones who are suffering. And so if, if there's something in your life where you're suffering, God does not abandon you. And so there's a restorative hope there. Jesus is asking the disciples to translate his resurrection and his momentary ascension where he goes up to God as a victory of the suffering servant. 
a victory. God has overcome death. God overcame the suffering that, that Jesus experienced. And so now it's a victory. And so that's, that's in, you know, Isaiah 53, 1 to 3 shows us a little bit. The whole chapter actually shows us the bit of, of suffering servant, but I can't go into it right now. The next thing that, that Jesus is hoping that, that they see is that in, in verse 47, it says that the repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. That the repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. Now, this is really a big deal because, okay, we live in a culture where the, the idea of forgiveness of sin is individual. Here's the way the gospel, the good news of God is presented the, mo- the majority of the time. Good news of God is presented like this. You are a sinner. Sounds like good news. That's the way I would start anything. You know, I'd be like, I have the best news in the world for you. Here it is. You are a sinner. I just picked on Victoria. That's so mean, isn't it? You're a sinner. Great news. She's, she's happy. Like, this is good. So, no. What, the, the context, the context of sin language and forgiveness language is built on, is built on the covenant of God that says, if my people will obey my rule, will obey the way that I do it, if the nation follows after me, they will be blessed. And when they don't follow after me, I will send them away into exile. That's the covenant. That's the deal for the country of Israel, the people of Israel. You have a, you have a deal with God. If you let God rule you, you will be blessed. And if you say to God, you know what? We don't want you to rule us. Then you will be exiled. Okay, so they made that deal with God. And then they didn't follow through on their side. So they get exiled. The only way back is for God to forgive that. That's what forgiveness of sins is. For God to forgive it. When you've said, when, when the nation of Israel said to God, we don't want to do it your way. We don't want you to rule me, rule us. We don't want you to, to be in control. We want it our way. And God said, fine. And they experienced exile. And the only fixing for exile is forgiveness. That's it. That's all you got. You can just be forgiven. And so this is what they're looking for. They're looking for, they know that the law is being broken and they see God's judgment. So they're looking for continued hope. They're looking for continued restoration with God. And they know that, that they don't have what they once had. They don't live in, they don't live in, in, um, in, in the dynasty, in David's dynasty, when the temple was glorious and the, and the palace was right next to it, they don't live in that dynasty. They live somewhere else. And so they find themselves, they find themselves going, we must not be, we must be under judgment. And that would be correct. So God's forgiveness is offered. Now, there's a really cool thing that we look at when we get to... Um, Israel being restored by forgiveness. And I'm just going to share this with you. In, in, the, in the, um, 
Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, this is the way that God's presence was shown. It was really simple. There was a golden box. And on top of the golden box, there are two angels with massive wings. And they're made of gold. They're these, they would be taller than us significantly. And they would be made with gold. And then there would be, there would be two poles that would run through the box in which these box, this box could be carried. And it's all gold. And right in between the angels, hovering right inside the Holy of Holies, was the presence of God. God's manifest, his visible presence right there. And that space is called the mercy seat. When, when a human could walk into the presence of God, they could walk to the mercy seat. Now, only very few humans would get there because they had to be priests. They, they were priests and they had to go through the whole process to get there. And they could only get there at very, very few times of the year. And so there they are in the presence of God. Now, that had all been destroyed and removed from Israel. And now... When Jesus comes back, Jesus becomes, in his death, resurrection, he, he becomes the mercy seat where the divine and the human come together. This is why Jesus is the only way to God, because it's only in that moment when the divine and the human come together that we actually have a way of talking with God, of relating with him, of having relationship. It's person on person. And so we have this, Jesus becomes that mercy seat, that moment where it was only the priests that could enter into the presence of God, where the divine could connect with, with God, and now, the, or the divine could connect with the human. But now, a human and a divine in the person of Jesus. This is huge. Massive reason. So Jesus is saying in this moment, when forgiveness is preached to all nations, he's not saying, oh, well, because you thought a bad thought yesterday, you now need this forgiveness. No, he's talking big picture. You do, you do need to confess your sins. Absolutely. But he's talking big picture in this moment. He's talking big picture and saying forgiveness means that the divine and the human can connect. Here's the mercy seat. Here's the person of Jesus. And Jesus is packing this in to this text where it's like right here, forgiveness to Israel means connection with God again. Restored connection with God. Now there's a reason for these people to be excited. Now there's a reason because, because that means all of the former glory, all of the promises of God, Everything, and I want to make this personal now, everything that God has promised to you as an individual, every hope, every, every dream, God's promised it to you, and all of it's fulfilled because at the mercy seat, which is Jesus Christ, human and divine are now connected. We walk into the presence of God when we couldn't walk into the presence of God before. We get to talk about God being here with us in this gym because Jesus 
And without Jesus, we're as lost as the rest of humanity. We're as lost. And so it's not just about like, oh, I'm going to make you feel like a bad person because you are a sinner. It's actually because I'm going to show you that God wants to connect with you. That God wants to be with you. So Jesus is also, in verse 47, establishing a global kingdom. And it's all because of the forgiveness of sins. All because that piece of broken relationship can be restored. And now God can be with not just the people of Israel, but with all of us. In this room, God can be with us. Because God's now saying, because God and human have been brought together, now God can be brought together with every human, every person, every one of God's loved creation can now be brought together because we don't have that singular temple where we have an ark of the covenant and and the mercy seat being in one spot. Now we have a human who is God walking among his people by his Holy Spirit. This is amazing. So God takes the underdog like us. We had no chance. We had no chance of connecting with the divine in any real way until Jesus makes a way. And he's like, now you could do it. Now you could do it. And so this is all because God loves us. And he calls all nations to come to him because, and, and he's willing to forgive all of us. This is what we get forgiven for, for choosing other rulers in our life. This is, this is what we're forgiven for for choosing other rulers. I want to do it my way. I want, to, I want it to be done this way. I want it to be not done that way. And God goes, no, no, no. Choose me as your ruler. Choose me as the one who, who orchestrates your life. Choose me as the one who directs everything. Choose me as your ruler. And so here we have the opportunity where God's just like, yeah, and I can do this for everybody. Think about it. Of course, only the eternal God has eternal life. Of course, only God offers lasting peace. Of course, only God brings unity into families. And of course, money doesn't do that. Of course, me self-ruling and trying to get my way all the time doesn't do that. Only God restores hope. And so they get this. They get this. And I think we get it here too, where we're just like, yeah, only God is the reason that I can, that I can even go forward with the hope and the lasting peace of eternal life. So it's happening right now. It's happening right now. And, uh, and he says, Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. And you, in this room, in your life story, are witnesses of God's grace and his peace and the type of life that God offers. You're witnesses of it. You have experienced it, maybe in part, maybe in foreshadowing, but you've experienced moments in your life where we are witnesses that indeed God has done something that's changed me. Indeed, God has connected me. Indeed, I have felt his presence. Indeed, it is happening now. And so we are witnesses and we come to church and we experience God's presence and we experience his guiding. And it's good. It's so good. So Jesus tells them, stay in Jerusalem. 
Think about last week's message. Return to Jerusalem because the dreams that God has on your life, they're not done yet. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay there right now because God is going to empower you. God is going to empower you with, um, with his spirit. So Jesus then blesses them. And I talked earlier about how blessing is so important. The importance of blessing is from authority. We think of, uh, of um, Jacob and Esau's blessing. And Jacob, and Jacob tricks his father and says, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, am, I am Esau. And Jacob gets the blessing. And Esau comes afterwards and, and his father starts crying. Isaac starts crying because, because he's already given his blessing away. A blessing is a real thing. It's not a Hallmark card. It's a real thing. And so he gives a blessing. And he tries, to bless, he tries to bless Esau with a lesser blessing. Here's the blessing. I have made Jacob Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to Jacob for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained, I have sustained Jacob. So what can I do for you, Esau? When Jesus blesses his disciples, it's a real thing. When Jesus blesses us, it's a real thing. It's not a metaphysical, oh, I got blessed by God today. No, it's a real thing. And so, so they're excited. They walk away with joy because, because God has blessed them. And Jesus is carried into heaven. There's a couple quick things that I want to talk about. People who are carried into heaven. Anybody met somebody who's just been like carried into heaven? They're no longer. They're not here anymore. But have you ever met somebody who just walked up into heaven? No one? Oh, yeah, me neither. Um, and so, so there are actually only three people in biblical history that walked up in heaven. And, uh, and one is Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was no more. The other one is Elijah. At the end of his mission, Elijah actually was taken up into heaven with a chariot of fire. And you're like, oh, wonderful. That's so cool. And Jesus, at the end of his mission, is taken up into heaven. The other thing that Jesus being taken up into heaven means is Jesus in full resurrection in human form is now existing with God. He is existing with God. He is being elevated as what? As ruler of the world. In the presence of his enemies, ruler of the world. So we're ecstatic because guess what? Even though sometimes we feel like we get pushed around, even though sometimes we might feel that we get persecuted or we get discriminated against because of our faith, because it was, it's the majority faith and so that must be wrong now. Um, even though that might happen in our world, we look at that and we say, we say, but the ruler of the world is Jesus Christ. And there's peace and there's hope. And there's restoration in that. So this is a heck of a lot of content today, but it's so important that we look at the we look at the return of Christ. We look at the return of Christ, or we look at, at the ascension of Christ, and we look towards what God is doing. He is the eternal ruler. He is the one whom we get to connect with God with. He is God in human form. He is the one that makes sure that we can have a relationship with God, and He is returning the way He went. He will return. And every experience that we have that makes us feel like we're suffering servants, we now have with the hope that Jesus will return. 
We now have with the hope that says, with the expectation that I, I, I imagine it in my brain. Victoria and I were having a conversation on Friday where we were trying to imagine in our brain what it would look like when Jesus returned. And we, we, we just couldn't do it. We were like, we don't even know what it looks like, but it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be a global event and it's going to be cool. And so Jesus is coming back. And with that, the disciples returned with joy to Jerusalem because all of these things meant things are getting better. God's not done. And so I want to pray with us today. God, I thank you that you're reorienting the world to yourself. God, I thank you that there's joy in it. I thank you that, that it's happening now and we're called to be verbal witnesses of the fact that it's happening now. That, that we can account for and recount stories where you, for just a moment, have stepped in. And so, Jesus, I pray that, that as, we, as we leave in, in worship today, Jesus, I pray that you would be that you would be so glorified that we would leave with joy, but that we would remain in Jerusalem until your Holy Spirit empowers us, which you have. <laughs> and so I pray that we would know that power, that we would know that strength. I pray a blessing, a real blessing on people in this room who feel like they may be struggling who, may, who feel like they may be part of that suffering servant, I pray a blessing on them. And I thank you, Jesus, that unlike, unlike Esau's father, you don't run out of blessings. You don't run out. And that you bless us. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness and your graciousness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.